are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Tuesday, November 17th. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Culligan Water, providing water treatment and delivery service to residential, office, commercial, and industrial locations while minimizing the impact on the environment for over 80 years. Information at Culligan.com. Nevada Cemetery District, since 1942, a public agency providing maintenance and care of historical and contemporary cemeteries in Nevada County offering environmentally sensitive green burial services. Pre-planning and plot reservations suggested. NevadaCemeteryDistrict.com And California Solar Electric Company, a locally owned solar cooperative. California Solar Electric Company is a Sun Power Elite dealer designing and installing residential, home battery storage, and commercial solar systems in Nevada County since 2000. Information at CaliforniaCO.com. Today, following NPR headlines and regional weather, Paul Emery speaks with Taylor Wolf about what it means to Nevada County to have a purple COVID-19 designation. Taylor Wolf is administrative analysis for the Nevada County Executive Office. KVMR station manager Allie Lightfoot talks with Dr. Brian Evans, CEO of Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, about the spike in COVID cases in Nevada County. President Trump lost, but House Republicans had a better-than-anticipated 2020 election. They picked up at least eight seats and narrowed the House Democrats' majority, NPR reports. At 6.30, we bring you Educationally Speaking, and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. As Georgia continues to conduct an audit of its presidential election results, a second county in the state has discovered more votes that were not counted in the original tally. As Georgia Public Broadcasting Stephen Fowler reports, the ballots slightly shrink Joe Biden's lead. Suburban Fayette County failed to upload a memory card of early votes that included nearly 2,800 votes. The mistake was caught because officials saw more ballots were counted than were reported in results online. More of the votes were for President Trump in the Republican-leaning county, so Biden's lead is now just under 13,000 votes. The Secretary of State has called on a Northwest Georgia election official to resign after another several thousand votes were never even scanned. Counties across Georgia have until 11.59 Wednesday night to complete their audit. For NPR News, I'm Stephen Fowler in Atlanta. President-elect Joe Biden announced some more of his top White House staff positions today. Biden's choices coming from the senior ranks of his campaign, along with some of his closest confidants. Biden confirming former campaign manager Jen O'Malley Dillon will serve as his deputy chief of staff. Campaign co-chair Louisiana Representative Cedric Richmond and campaign advisor Steve Rochette will play senior roles in the new administration. The new hires represent an initial wave of what will ultimately be hundreds of new White House hires. Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller announced a sharp troop cut in Afghanistan that will be completed five days before Joe Biden is inaugurated as president. Miller said those cuts in Afghanistan and smaller ones in Iraq will bring those wars to a conclusion, even though thousands of U.S. troops will remain there. More from NPR's Tom Bowman. 
Miller refused to answer any questions about reducing the number of American troops. Instead, he read a statement. I'm here today to update you on President Trump's plan to bring the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq to a successful and responsible conclusion and to bring our brave service members home. Earlier, senior defense officials who declined to be named told reporters that security conditions had been met in Afghanistan but declined to name them. Military officials dispute that and say Taliban violence has increased in urban areas and the militant group has yet to break with al-Qaeda. Tom Bowman, NPR News, the Pentagon. President Trump's controversial pick for the Federal Reserve has seen her nomination stall in the Senate. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris returning to cast a key vote that has presented, prevented the nomination of Judy Shelton from moving forward. Shelton is opposed by Senate Democrats and also some Republicans, most economists and former Fed officials. In addition to questioning the body's political independence, she's also in the past supported a return to the gold standard, something that would give the Fed less leeway to adjust interest rates in a severe recession. Stocks took a pause today. The Dow down 167 points. You're listening to NPR News. Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman has entered a phase three trial for a coronavirus vaccine. As NPR's Kelsey Snell reports, Portman is the first senator to personally participate in vaccine research. Senator Rob Portman says he signed up for a vaccine trial after a briefing from a clinical trial consulting firm. Portman says he entered the Janssen-Johnson & Johnson study to reassure the public about the safety and efficacy of a future vaccine. Coronavirus cases are spiking in Portman's home state of Ohio. He says participating in vaccine trials helps companies complete the data needed in order to seek FDA approval. Two other companies, Moderna and Pfizer, say they have developed separate vaccines that could become available in the coming months. The nation's top infection disease expert Anthony Fauci told NPR's Morning Edition that some people may be vaccinated towards the end of December. Kelsey Snell, NPR News, Washington. The CEOs of Twitter and Facebook defended their platform's handling of the presidential election and also outlined safeguards they have in place dealing with disinformation. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter's Jack Dorsey appearing today before the Senate Judiciary Committee. The two also promised vigorous action ahead of two special elections in Georgia in January that could determine which party controls the Senate. Some lawmakers have expressed concerns the social media platforms have not been aggressive enough in dealing with disinformation or might let their guards down now that the presidential race is done. Crude oil futures prices closed higher after a weaker dollar offset an OPEC committee decision to hold off on deciding whether a planned production cut should proceed. Oil gained nine cents a barrel today to end the session at 41.43 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, showers are expected to continue overnight with rain heavy at times. Lows will be around 44 and precipitation amounts of 1 to 2 inches as possible. On Wednesday, showers will continue with thunderstorms also possible after 10 a.m. Highs will be near 49 and new rainfall amounts between one half and three quarters of an inch are possible and showers are likely to continue Wednesday night, mainly before 10 p.m. with lows around 38. Tonight in Sacramento, showers will continue with lows around 55. New rainfall amounts of one-tenth to one-quarter of an inch are possible. On Wednesday, showers are likely before 10 a.m., then showers and thunderstorms possible. Daytime highs will be near 62, and new rainfall amounts of one-tenth to one-quarter of an inch are 
expected. And Wednesday night, there is a 30% chance of showers before 10 p.m., then mostly cloudy skies with a low around 45. Tonight in Truckee, lows will be around 34. Rain is expected before 3 a.m., then rain and snow, with snow levels expected to be above 6,500 feet. Wednesday's high will be near 38, with a rain-snow mixture possible. Snow levels will remain around 6,600 feet and higher, and new snow accumulation of less than one-half an inch is possible. And Wednesday night, snow is likely mainly before 10 p.m., then mostly cloudy skies with a low around 25. And in Angels Camp tonight, showers are likely with a low around 49. New precipitation amounts between three quarters and one inch are possible. On Wednesday, showers are possible mainly before 4 p.m. with daytime highs near 55. And new rainfall amounts of between a quarter and half an inch are likely. And Wednesday night, there is a 50% chance of showers before 10 p.m., then mostly cloudy skies with a low around 43. I'm speaking with Taylor Wolf. She's Nevada County's Public Information Officer. Taylor, gosh, we just talked last week. I didn't think we were going to have to talk about the same topic again so soon, but we, but we do need to talk about it. And uh, let's start with uh, uh, you telling our listeners what are the current numbers with COVID-19 and what does that mean? Yeah, so thank you, Paul, for having me on. Like you said, I didn't know we would be uh, so close together talking about this again. Last week, we were talking about moving from the orange to the red tier. Um, Our cases increased so much recently that uh, officially today, this morning, Nevada County is jumping from the orange to the purple tier. So that is the most restrictive tier for local businesses as far as COVID-19 mitigations. And this is really due to that rapid rise in COVID-19 cases. This is happening locally. It's happening uh, statewide. It's happening nationally. Uh, Just looking at our Nevada County cases in particular, um, looking at the second weekend week of November and comparing it to the second week of October, so just a month apart in time, we've seen 6.5 as many cases, COVID cases, it, uh, between those two weeks. So really, I think that illustrates um, the increase here in our community and that we do truly need to be careful. Again, even just this weekend, we saw around 30 new cases each day of COVID-19 this weekend. So we saw a significant jump in our dashboard yesterday. Um, We are above 900 total COVID-19 cases since the pandemic started in Nevada County. Um, And really, you know, we're talking about getting back to the basics. I think it was, we've moved along this state in orange tier um, with lessened business restrictions for a long time. Uh, It's given our community maybe a sense of security, so to speak. Um, but we're definitely seeing seeing that action uh, go backwards um, with this rise in cases. So the state um, took 18 counties yesterday and moved them back into the purple tier. Uh, one of that was Nevada County, yes. So 
As a total right now, 41 counties are now in the purple tier. Last week at this time, it was only 13 counties. So we're really seeing this spike statewide. Uh, California, alongside Oregon and Washington, has also issued a travel advisory to discourage all non-essential travel over the holidays. Um, they, as well as Nevada County Public Health, are encouraging people to stay local. Um, and the state has asked that if you choose to travel, that you self-quarantine for 14 days after returning, just out of extra precaution to make sure we're not spreading more COVID-19 into our community. So exactly where is Nevada County in relationship to the state's tier system? Nevada County, we are in the most restrictive tier. So there is a purple widespread tier. Uh, the tier below that with a little bit less in restrictions is a red tier, then orange, then yellow. Uh, when the state first announced the tier system it was in late august nevada county was in the red tier but we quickly moved to the orange tier and stayed there until yesterday when we moved to this purple tier the most restrictive tier um so what that means for businesses here locally it means that a lot of businesses are moving to outdoor only operations uh, that includes restaurants movie theaters, gyms, uh, family entertainment centers, places of worship, uh, wineries. Uh, also, you know, we, we talked about before, I think a few weeks ago, Paul, about outdoor live performances and live music, um, for example, maybe in a restaurant setting. When we were in orange tier, something like this uh, would be allowed with pretty substantial modifications, but in the purple tier, uh, this is no longer allowed. Um, re uh, retail, for example, we're heading into that holiday season. So for retail, we're talking about reducing indoor capacity to 25% in the purple tier. And then pulling out a few that, that don't have maybe as big of changes. So hair salons, barber shops, and personal care services. Um, there is, is not a result of a closure for these industries moving from the orange to the purple tier. These can still operate indoors with those stringent modifications that have in place. And then also schools as well. Um, uniquely, since we did stay in the orange tier for quite a while um, and many of our schools did move into that hybrid model moving into the purple tier does not necessarily mandate school closures because we had already moved into that hybrid model although i know our schools are monitoring closely um, the cases that that they're seeing and have their own metrics that um, potentially they could decide to move a different direction towards distance learning at some point but we'll have to to wait for for their information to come out on that. But as far as restaurants, there's no indoor dining at all at this point. That is correct. Outdoor only is with purple tier, and that's really why we want to get the word out. Um, you know, we know no one's happy to see us go into the purple tier to see what's happening, both the impacts on businesses but our community health, and we really want to uh, encourage everyone to support us in reversing this trend. And that's going back to the basics, that social distancing, it's the masking, hand washing, and of course, minimizing the mixing between households. Um, 
our trends by far and large have been the social gatherings that are contributing to the increase in uh, cases here locally. And then additionally, recently we've seen that um, the workplace has come into that more. So maybe people are attending social gatherings and then coming into the workplace and also not putting the COVID mitigations in place to keep their workplace safe as well. Um, Also in the purple tier, moving from the orange to the purple, in orange, um, office settings could begin opening up with those modifications in place. In purple, it really is encouraged for people to begin that remote work as again as much as they can. So, uh, what uh, is, is there? Any, I guess you talked about it, but is there anything else you'd like to add about how we can reverse this trend? Yeah, you know, we we want to have this conversation with the community. We know this is a difficult time. There's a lot of information to digest as well. And we know people have questions. So tonight uh, we are hosting a Nevada County COVID-19 community webinar. Um, it is going to happen prior uh, to this recorded interview, but we will have it posted on our County of Nevada YouTube page and we'll be sharing it with the community. But basically we're looking to provide um, information for people to learn about how they can protect and help our local businesses, get updates from uh, Nevada County Public Health and our local schools. And we really, our goal is to have a collaborative, all hands on deck learning session for everyone who wants to be a part of the solution and help us get in the right direction. Again, that's all the things that um, we've been learning to put into our daily habits and our daily lives throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. It's uh, minimizing the mixing between households, sticking with those that are in your household, Uh, It's that social distancing, making sure you're wearing your mask um, when you're out in public spaces, good hygiene habits and hand washing. And then, you know, we're always looking as well on on how we can continue to support our small businesses during this hard time. Putting those extra measures into place is one of the best ways we can do so, because if we can reverse this trend, we can move towards less restrictive tiers, um, increase the capacity in our businesses safely in the community. Um, But we also have some other opportunities as well. So we are still doing our no cost PPE distribution, both in Western Nevada County and up in uh, the Truckee area. So if any small business owners are tuning in and want to uh, participate in that, we encourage them to go to mynevadacounty.com slash PPE. There's a short application. You can pick the location and the date you'd like to pick up your PPE. Environmental health for restaurants and the different types of business industries that fall under their purview. They're also um, offering a permit fee waiver for the fiscal year 2021. So that can be found at mynevadacounty.com slash PPE as well. Um, If you do have an environmental health permit, you're a small business owner or manager, make sure you go there and look for those resources. Taylor, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR and keeping us informed. Taylor Wolf is Nevada County's Communication Coordinator and is based out of the County Executive Office. We have uh, Dr. Brian Evans on the line, and he is um, the CEO of Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital in Grass Valley. It's been a while since we've talked to the doctor. How are you this morning? 
I'm good, Allie. Thanks for having me. Yes, I was hoping actually we wouldn't have to keep doing these updates, but it, t- it looks like um, it looks like it's time uh, to get an update on COVID nineteen in our area. We're up almost 150 new cases last week in Nevada County, one of the biggest daily increases we've seen here. And throughout the U.S., we're up um, 181,000 new cases. What do you think is causing this increase? Are you seeing any patterns or consistency in who or how people are getting it? Well, I think there's a number of things that are contributing to the the spike in cases. And, you know, I think they're all sort of coming together uh, to worsen this pandemic. And, you know, one thing is that I think people have really gotten pretty darn tired of the restricted lifestyles that we've all had to endure as a result of COVID-19. And and the so-called COVID fatigue is taking effect and, and people are, um, you know, they're just they're just wanting to get out and enjoy their lives uh, see their friends, see their family, and all that kind of thing, which is understandable, but I think they're probably taking some additional risks that are contributing to the spread. Um, there's been some news recently about some of the advances in uh, treatment, uh, and, of course, we've all seen news related to vaccines that are coming out, uh, one from Pfizer and then another from Moderna that are showing some favorable results in their clinical trials. And I think that some people are looking at that like, okay, we're we're going to be fine, you know. And and I think it's really too early to um, to make any changes in in our our cautious approach to this virus. Uh, and then of course the weather's changed a little bit, and so we're starting to see some colder weather, and people are going indoors more. It's harder to be outside. And we had some wonderful weather allowing us to uh, you know eat outside at restaurants and things like that. And as you know, it's much safer to be outside than indoors uh, in terms of COVID spread. So there's a lot of things happening, um, and I, I think that uh, you know we've all got to kind of buckle down and and continue to take this thing seriously. Is there any data showing where people are getting the the virus right now? I know some people are saying, why are we closing down all the restaurants? There's mm-hmm. more evidence that people are actually picking it up at home or at family gatherings or, you know, in different places than our local businesses. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the short answer is that you can get it in a variety of different locations. So, you know, just avoiding a particular type of location is not going to necessarily be the thing. There have been a lot of cases in um, private homes. You know, there have been people that have had gatherings, parties, et cetera, and, and not taking those precautions. And, and so there has been spread, and I know that that's happened in Nevada County as well. Um, but I think the thing to remember is it's really about the individual interaction as opposed to the venue. So if you are um, – if you're in a group, if, if a group of people are not wearing masks, if those people are indoors uh, and there's not good ventilation, then it's really a concern. That's a concerning environment, whether it's a private home or a restaurant or, or in any other building. So I think we just need to make sure that we're all adhering to the principles that are going to keep us safe and trying to uh, limit the spread of this. Um, we're, we're in a situation now where, uh, you know, we're probably going to end up going into a more restrictive tier, uh, and that is really unfortunate because, you know, we really, this thing has really impacted businesses across our county and, and really across the world. So we, we just need to do our part to try to keep things afloat. So what's different now? How are we um, 
protecting ourselves and others now that might be different from what we were doing last spring. What do you think we've learned about this virus or not learned um, from your perspective? Well, a lot of things have been learned about the way that COVID-19 behaves and the best ways to treat it. Um, I think that there there are some things that are staying relatively consistent. And, you know, the data came out showing that mask wearing is helpful, um, socially distancing is helpful, hand washing is helpful. Uh, and so I think that those precautions have, have not really changed. The therapeutic approaches to treating people that are sick with COVID-19 have changed over time. We've got some some remedies that are that are better than they were before. We we understand how to manage patients and um, you know when when to put them on uh, more invasive ventilation protocols, etc. Um, and then of course we've had some good breakthroughs related to vaccines that hopefully will become available relatively soon. Um, but, I mean, the fundamental things that each of us as individual citizens need to remember is it's, it's really the same basic principles of trying to avoid getting sick right now. You know, don't, don't get into crowds. Don't go indoors and not wear a mask and be around other people. And, um, you know, if we can all adhere to the same general principles that we've been doing this whole entire time and really are consistently doing that, especially the mask wearing, um, then I think that we would really be much, much safer. I mean, I think that we're looking at this like well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel now with vaccines and other therapeutics coming out. Um, we just got to get through that tunnel with as many people alive as possible, basically. So as of Friday, um, Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital had 10 or more people with COVID there, or I guess as of Friday, it was four. But last week, at some point, you had 10 people in the hospital. Can you remind our listeners what the max capacity is at the hospital and um, to take care of people with COVID and how many respirators are available. Really, what are you set up to um, accommodate there? Yeah, you know, the, I'm not sure where you're getting the 10, Allie. Uh, we haven't had 10 admitted patients in the hospital at any point during this COVID pandemic. Um, we have, you know, for the most part, we've had, you know, a couple, you know, patients admitted at any given time. I think our maximum census was four total. Okay. Um, when you look at the Nevada County website, they have a website you can go to. I think it's my Nevada County something, something COVID or something like that. And I look at that fairly regularly and it lists how many hospitalized patients are in the county. That includes both Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital and Tahoe Forest, which is in our county as well. Oh, okay. So there could be, there could be two here, two there, et cetera. Um, I'm not sure what the census is right now, but it's been like that. It's been one or two or three or so patients admitted. Um, so we have capacity to take care of that without any difficulty whatsoever. We have plenty of ventilators. Um, and, and actually what's interesting is that earlier on in the pandemic, there was a lot of concern about does the United States have enough ventilators and, you know, do our individual hospitals have enough ventilators because we were, I think physicians were um, putting patients on ventilators pretty early on in the course of their, their illness if they started having respiratory trouble. Now it really is looking like doctors have found out that it's better actually to hold off on that and to, to do that later in the course and to use other types of oxygenation strategies earlier uh, on. So high flow nasal oxygen, for example. Um, we have plenty of ventilators. That's not, that's not at all a concern. But I, but I do think people need to understand that hospitals don't have unlimited capacity, you know, and that's true of Sierra Nevada and that's true of any hospital. So if we were to see a, a huge surge of admitted patients 
it could be a problem for any hospital. And the biggest the biggest rate limiting thing normally is labor and nursing labor specifically. Uh, you'll, what we're seeing across the country is that there's nursing shortages. There's some hospitals that are overwhelmed, uh, and it's hard to get you know uh, adequate numbers of nurses for very significant surges. But here in Grass Valley, we're not seeing that. Sierra Nevada has been doing just fine throughout this whole pandemic, and we hope to continue to do that way. Uh, a lot of it depends upon the community and, and how well we do it at limiting the spread. Well, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Dr. Brian Evans, CEO at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital. Um, really good to um, get caught up on on this new surge in cases, and hopefully we can speak with you again soon. Thank Anytime, you, Dr. Allie, thank you so much. Democrats kept control of the House of Representatives in this fall's elections, but Republicans are celebrating gains. NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis has been asking how they did it. At his weekly press conference, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy couldn't resist taking a victory lap. Pundits doubted us. Polls were stacked against us. And I don't believe one person in this room believed we'd win one race. House Republicans did far better than election forecasts predicted. Not one Republican incumbent has lost. Races are still being called, but Democrats are on track to have the narrowest single-digit House majority in two decades. The first building block of how we got here was recruitment. Dan Constant runs the Congressional Leadership Fund, the top House Republican super PAC. Of the seats Republicans flipped, the winning candidate was either a woman, a minority, a veteran, or some combination of the three. Constance said they had better messengers and a more persuadable message on the economy and cultural issues for undecided swing voters. CLF spent $140 million on ads this year, this one that ran against Democratic Congressman Joe Cunningham of South Carolina, who lost his race, sums up that message. Cunningham's backed by lobbyists and radicals who want to defund the police. And he supports Biden. That means higher taxes. The coronavirus pandemic has also made campaigning itself a cultural and tactical issue. Many Republicans continued to hold in-person events, rarely wore masks, and ran traditional door-knocking campaigns to get out the vote. All things Democrats more often avoided over concerns of public safety. Republican Beth Van Dyne just won an open seat in the Dallas-Fort Worth suburbs. She credited her ground game with her narrow victory. She told NPR she never saw her Democratic opponent on the campaign trail. Her point was she was concerned about COVID. And you know what? That's fine. But as in an elected position role and a public servant role, we do not have the luxury of calling it in. Van Dines was one of six Republican-held suburban Texas seats that Democrats made a play for in 2020. They lost in all of them. Liesl Hickey and Robert Blizzard are veteran party strategists who've been conducting an ongoing focus group with suburban swing voters across the country since late May. This doom and gloom that we were going to get, you know, slaughtered in the suburbs obviously was did not materialize. And, you know, this type of research suggests why. Hickey said that while Trump fatigue was very real for suburban voters, that fatigue did not drag down House Republicans on the ballot who focused on issues and not the president. A center right agenda, that's what suburban voters are looking for. And when we're on offense, on policy, we win. And it's why House Republicans are celebrating 2020, even though they still technically lost. This election didn't send them off searching in the political wilderness, but rather provided what many see as a shorter path back to the majority. Going into 2022, 
we have a great opportunity to continue to create a choice between Republican policies and Democrat policies. And I think, you know, that will be a very clear choice as we go into the new year. President-elect Joe Biden won a historic victory, but he had no coattails for his party. And now he faces an emboldened House Republican minority. Susan Davis, NPR News, Washington. That's our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. and is produced by Emory Audio Productions. Coming up next, we bring you Educationally Speaking and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions, I'm Charlotte Peterson, wishing you a fabulous evening.